This is TDPS. Hi, I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and everyone here at TDPS would like to congratulate my co-host and best friend, Christopher Rice, also known as steamy romance author C. Travis Rice, on the publication of Sapphire Storm, the third novel in his Sapphire Cove series. Sapphire Storm is the drama-filled tale of a forbidden romance that exposes old secrets and incurs the wrath of the powerful and the famous. It went on sale March 7th, along with the first two entries in the series, Sapphire Sunset and Sapphire Spring. It's available wherever eBooks are sold. Congratulations, C. Travis Rice, and congratulations, Christopher. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at Facebook.com slash The Dinner Party Show. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. And it is a miracle that we were able to start the show today because there were five whole minutes before we hit the record button where Eric could not find his lip balm. And I... I thought the world was going to come to well, a stop. you know, we do a lot of talking, and I, my lips get chapped. I need lip balm to do this show. You need lip balm to go outside. You do a lot of talking, period. There's a lot of talking in your life. I always have lip balm with me. <laughs> you always got to grease those wheels. Yes, That's I right, do. babe. It's a lot of work keeping this mouth going. Should we begin... With you giving me shit about the weather Should outside. Should we address <laughs> you giving me shit about just simply pointing out a weather forecast that I, I was made aware of? I feel like we have different framings for this narrative, but why don't you go first since you ended up being right? I um, I am the person who lives in Los Angeles who wishes that it would rain more. A and lot so, more. A lot more. I love rain. Like, I think the weather in London is the ideal weather. That, that's the kind of weather I want. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of weather I want. Um, <laughs> that's how Christopher talks about dogs. That's, that's the, the kind, kind of, of dog, dog I, want. I want. That's the kind of dog I want now. No, that's the kind of dog I want now. He's been saying that since I want a Frenchie. the whole I want a time we've known each other. Okay, let's focus. Let's focus on you giving I, me shit. I am focused. This is me giving you shit. <laughs> this is um, me focusing on the shit right? once more. We were Actually, that was something else that I was talking about you. Everybody drink. Um, <laughs> so, um, so I'm always delighted to, with news of rain. But last night there was this strange... Conflict where Alexa was saying that there was a 52% chance of rain and the Weather Channel app said there was a 2% chance of rain. And that's pretty big difference. And so I made the mistake of texting my best friend about it and <laughs> saying, wow, look at this. Like I didn't get to the discrepancy part because we sailed right into a... I hate watching you put yourself through this, I said. Because I you do again and again. You get so excited for just the smallest percentage chance of rain. I do always hope. You show up in galoshes with a giant umbrella when there's just been a forecast of a drizzle outside. I always hope that it's going to rain. And so then... So then I wake up this morning... No, so then the oh. news actually <laughs> reported and showed rain on the lens of their camera and stuff. And Christopher continued to be direct. Don't hop in an Uber and go to Victorville. Just 
just to catch a little rain. <laughs> because that's where the rain was forecasted, and Victorville is about two hours away from where we are here in the West Hollywood. The pictures that I sent Christopher actually showed rain and th- lightning in Los Angeles, but that wasn't good enough for him. He no, was it wasn't. being snarky and See, I've been down this road a million times with you and with the weather report. I'm jaded and injured on this topic. I, too, want the rain, and it never shows up, and I always get disappointed. And so this was born of concern for you. So anyway. It rained. First thing this morning, I open up my skylights, expecting birds tweeting and blasting Southern California late summer sun, and there's rain everywhere, and I think, shit, I'm going to get it this morning. Well, And sure enough, at around 9.15 (laughs) a.m., apparently it rained last night, (laughs) came the text message with accompanying tone that I am giving to it, because I know what was in your head as you typed it. Um, so, yes, it rained, but it was like a spitting, drizzling Southern California rain. It was nothing like Hillary, which moved through not too long ago. No, it was not anything like Hillary. Oh, oh my God. goodness. It was nothing like – yeah, we're actually – it is my belief that Los Angeles is beginning as part of climate changes that we're going to begin to have a tropical climate in oh Los Angeles. God, no, I please, God. I just – I – it was 97% humidity this yeah. morning. We, we were Unheard all, of. before we went on, before we started recording this episode, we were just talking with um, our engineer, Brandon, about getting accustomed to yeah. the smell of water in the air. If you live somewhere other than in the desert, you don't know what that means. But after living here for a while, you forget that sometimes there's just this sort of mildewy kind of moist smell in the air mm-hmm. because there's water in the air. And there, that isn't a thing here. And it's starting to be. It's and- the smell that hits you the second you step off the plane in either New Orleans or Houston or Georgia. You smell it immediately. Right. Or when you first turn on your air conditioner and you live in the South. Yes, exactly. That just kind of moisty, little mildewy kind of, not terrible, but just a kind of like moisty smell. But here's what's disappointing to me is that prior to that, California had a smell that I actually thought was quite pleasant. And I'm not talking about a Santa Monica Pier smell. I'm talking, it was this sort of clean kind of, I don't know, creosote, deserty, arid smell. And it's going away because of this. It's being replaced by the horrible smells of my traumatizing childhood. Well, I will say this about that. When I first moved to Los Angeles 117 years ago, (laughs) Mount Pinatubo had erupted in the Philippines. And the armistice had been signed. And the armistice had been signed and, um, right, and anyway. I threw you. I'm sorry. Mount Pinatubo. So this was was mid-90s. And there was a weather change. And I moved to the wrong city. I moved to cool, cloudy Los Angeles, which didn't actually exist. It was a phenomenon that was a result of this eruption. But it was also a time period when it was the most rain I've ever seen here. Yeah. And the result of the rain in Los Los Angeles, when it becomes a rainy environment, Mm -hmm. is it starts to smell like lemon and eucalyptus. So stick around. Okay. I'm down. I'm down. When I first moved here, that was the smell, and I have not smelled it since. I think I just am thinking of this now because it has not been a really rainy place like it was when I first moved here. My God, when I first moved here, it rained all the time. Now, what kind of rain? Was it just steady, drizzling? Torrential. Torrential rain. So not like Pacific Northwest, just sort of damp constantly. This was torrential storms as a result of the volcano in the Philippines. And all the time. Wow. You must have just been in heaven. I was just thought I had moved to the perfect place because yeah. it was not freezing, but it was always like you could wear a light cotton sweater in July and August. Like yeah. it was that weather. It was cloudy and it was overcast and there were frequently gigantic rainstorms. Yeah. 
I loved it. Well, Eric Shaw Quinn, earlier you mentioned eucalyptus trees. Do you know where else has eucalyptus trees? Australia. That leads me to my next subject. How's that for a transition? Wow, that was smooth. <laughs> that was smooth. I come from broadcasting. Um, <laughs> by, which, by which he means he owns a television. <laughs> the phone. And I have a, I am a TikTok user officially, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the lovely package we got from one of our Australian party people, Simon Ammer, sent us a lovely... I mean, a lot of I, Tim Tams. We're, we're actually going to open a Tim Tam shop <laughs> here in Los Angeles. There are so many Tim Tams here. We just, it would be a shame to open them. So we're just going to open a shop. Um, he also sent Tim-tams. Cadbury Cherry Ripes. I'm sorry, I'm reaching over to see what they're called. A Caramello Koala made with Cadbury Dairy Milk. I mean, it is a, it is an assortment. He also sent us a lovely letter saying, thank you for all the TDPS content. It is greatly appreciated. Um, he also wants us to YouTube the Tim Tam Slam and try it out. It sounds like one of those viral challenges with food. Tim Tams in Australian, so figured you guys should try. Tim Tams are Australian, excuse me, so I figured you guys should try every content variation. And he is correct. He has sent us and every variation. They've got variation. a lot of variations. I'm telling you, Tim Tams really, they've covered the whole spectrum. Keep entertaining us all with love, although I think Eric could talk considerably less than Christopher because Christopher is really, oh, no, I'm sorry. He didn't say that part about me. <laughs> um, P.S. My handwriting sucks and my brain is currently running low on caffeine. His handwriting is perfectly fine. I don't know what he's talking so, about. So thank you, Simon. Thank That's you, just Simon. lovely. What a, yeah. what a lovely surprise. Thank you very much for that. And while we're on the topic Uh-oh. of reaching out to people that listen yes. to the show, one of the things that we're doing here at uh, the TDPS Networks and Dinner Partner Productions is we're trying to bring back um, our newsletter mm-hmm. and our mailing list. And you may remember hundreds of years ago when we first hundreds. started doing this show, we gave people a chance to give us their email address and then we never sent you anything ever. So that's been like, I don't know, 35 years ago or something like that. It seems like that long. And so we're redoing that. And so you are probably receiving, you may have already noticed, letters saying if you want to still be subscribed, then you don't have to do anything. But if you don't, you can unsubscribe in your email inbox. But some of them are bouncing directly to your spam folders and some of them are so... Check your spam folder. If you want to be subscribed to us, if you don't, you won't get any more. But mm-hmm. but if you do want to be subscribed to us, you might want to check your spam folders and make sure or even resubscribe at the right. at the dinnerpartyshow.com where I'm sure that link is still I'm sure. alive and available. And if it's not, we will mention that to somebody who's in charge of that somebody sort of thing. Somebody who our link director. So that by the time this goes on the air, that will actually happen. But yeah, yeah. so we're what we, we want to do is keep people um, informed about what's coming up, the shows, um, and then other stuff that's going on um, with us and with other projects that we're working on. And let me be high stakes and dark about this because that's usually my job. We, we're Part of the reason we're doing this is because we don't really trust these social media companies we're using to communicate One with you. One of them doesn't really exist anymore. To and stick is kind around. Of right, exactly. They're really in an uncertain place. I know Facebook is having a lot of financial difficulties. We're going to continue talking to you on our Facebook page. We're not abandoning our Facebook page, but we are preparing for the day where it gets pulled away from us by some strange... Because who knows? Like we're still, I don't know. We still 
still post on Twitter, but I'm not sure for how much longer. I'm not even sure what it's called still. Well, I'm just going to call it Twitter because I, you know, I I called him Prince the whole time too. You know what I mean? Like you can change it to assemble if you want to, but I'm still going to call you by your name. All right. All right. That's enough business. Anyway. So, yeah. So just a note, like check your spam folder. You may have a note from us. Okay. So we wrapped the True Crime Movie Time Summer Film Festival with our last episode. Wrapped just doesn't seem to be. (laughs) We collapsed. We collapsed on a terrible movie about the mystery of D.B. Cooper. Yeah. Disastrous summer, terrible film festival. That's what we should do. Next year, we're going to do the summer really terrible film festival, and we'll just focus on really bad movies, and then we'll have gotten it right because we'll just pick movies that seem appropriate. Well, and I'll tell you, I think it'll be a little while here before we do another true crime movie time because we are are maxed out on bad true crime movies for a while. I We really, I was like... We put a pin in the map, and everywhere we put it was a disaster. I just, I cannot get over how poorly we did. Were any of them, I'm trying to think. I don't think any of them were very good. I don't think we liked Here's my take. Here's my take. it, It was a reminder of how recent the sophisticated true crime adaptation is. Like, we only recently came out of the cheesy movie of the week version of this. We liked, um... We liked um, David Fincher. We liked oh, of um, course, Zodiac by Zodiac. David Fincher. We but that was Zodiac. one we had seen before, and we were familiar with, and we put it in the we right had context. We've seen Untouchables before, and we were wrong. We yeah. remember that was that '90s haze that got yeah. all of us. Um, yeah. But again, the further back we went, the older the crime was, the more likely we were looking at TV movies that were not very good and were not easily streamable. We would have to. We were looking at YouTube links to really old, bad quality VHS tapes that people had uploaded. The 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 age of True Detective is is pretty recent, you know. The the up marketing of true crime stories from pulpy paperbacks that were rushed to publication, which used to be the mainstay of it, was kind of obliterated by the type of TV special we now talk about. And then you add on to that the sort of next chapter is is the, the more sophisticated, nuanced star vehicles that we now see on the streamers that are about famous true crime stories. But we didn't find any on our festival tour. Well, and I mean, it was an odd thing, like the Badlands. Probably was something that we might have liked if we hadn't watched it with expectations. Yes, that's correct. If we'd just seen it as a movie. It wasn't actually a bad movie. It was just absolutely not a movie about what we were, what it purported to be a movie about. Right. I was really surprised by the Reese Witherspoon, The Devil's Not, the Reese Witherspoon, Colin yeah. Firth, uh, which was just, it was just and, and uh, the wrong script. It was the wrong. It was the focus. wrong story. Yeah. Yeah. It was like the studio had said, "We need you to make it on the the parts that we can get big actors to play, and we can't get a big actor to play Damien Eccles, so we're not even going to tell a story, even though it's his story and the story of those three young men." Yeah, absolutely. I and then know. Bully mm-hmm. was kind of an electrifying movie. Okay, so we're taking it back. There were some that we so Zodiac. Bully, and then Badlands by itself, divorced from the... Well, I'm not taking it back about Badlands. Badlands was, even now, like, I think you're right. It was a lyrical... We, If we had not seen it with the... But I can't unring that bell. Like, yeah. it was like, this is not a movie about heartless serial killers. Like, mm-hmm. I maybe that ship has sailed. Maybe the, the time of the movie of seeing... Serial killers as sort of romantic figures. misunderstood figures. Yeah, yeah. I just let's I'm just, hope. I think that's let's over. Sailed, I think that's yeah. not coming back. I think that's right. a different era. And you know, the sort of seeing outlaws as somehow romantic figures is. I I think maybe we are in a different place mm-hmm. where we're taking a more realistic look at what 
that ha- I think it's even starting to happen with, frankly, with uh, superhero movies. Right. You know, the, they got the bad guys, but they destroyed Manhattan. Like, mm-hmm. how is that? So, like, on balance. Yeah, I live in Manhattan. Still destroyed Manhattan. Yeah. Hmm, was that mm-hmm. really a good thing? And they're, they're television series and things about dealing with the aftermath of that kind of stuff, which is just fantasy. Right. But it's the notion of the people who are actually the victims of these crimes are... You know, it's it's not a, a lighthearted or a romantic story at all. It's just a tragedy. So this month, or for our next four episodes, we are starting Back to School Month. Christopher and I, and all of us at TDPS, are still grieving the loss of my dear friend and our beloved premier party person, Anne Rice. But my mother's literary legacy gave birth to a diverse and wonderful community of readers and fans who continue to celebrate her work online. We invite you to join them on the Facebook page dedicated to Anne's legacy. That's where you'll receive the latest updates on new editions of her work and all the exciting changes coming to the AnneRice.com website. Also on the Anne Rice Facebook page, you can join the mailing list to receive all the latest news and information about her forthcoming celebration of life in New Orleans. That's at facebook.com slash Anne Rice fan page, no spaces. If you believe, as we do, that Anne's work is as immortal as her characters, then join us at Anne Rice fan page on facebook.com. See you there. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. So back to school month because begins. nothing is more cheerful than the idea of going back to school. Nothing, nothing. <laughs> well, we are a true crime show yeah. fundamentally. So murder and going back to school, <laughs> waking up early in the mornings. We're going to throw that in too because then that'll be all the really horrible stuff. I should say to people who may have an aversion to the topic, unless I'm incorrect, I should check my own notes before I say this. We're not doing any school shootings. In this month. Those are not the stories we are covering Hell no. this month. We don't. We're know. never covering those stories. Yeah. I mean, maybe there'll be a movie at some point that will that will be worth that, but I doubt it. I just, yeah. that's something that I don't, yeah. It's a different conversation. That's a very different and, conversation and nothing I want to talk about. Yeah. Okay, so this week it's a true crime TV club and we are serving up an episode of the series Death in the Dorms, which is available to stream on Hulu here in the United States. The episode is entitled Christian Aguilar. It is season one. There is only one season, and it is episode two. So should I proceed? And I will say at the outset, I saw, I realized as we were getting into this one, I have seen a dateline about this that had some different 
subjects and some slightly different perspectives. I not, would be interested to hear yeah, about that. Because as we always do here, there is the story that the TV show tells, and then there is the story that Eric Shaw Quinn hears. And I always live in suspense because we don't talk about this before we do it. No. So I don't know what you're going to say. We just That's kind of the thrill of our relationship. The thing I do want to say before we start this, yes, as since we brought up the idea, it's not that we don't want to talk about the solution. Yes, absolutely. To, to school shootings, which yes. I think is obvious to everybody, but the most ludicrous people in the world who mm-hmm. believe that ordinary people should have ghost machine guns or right. something in their school bags. Um, the solution we're in, we might be interested in talking about, but the tragedy is not a form of entertainment exactly. that we want to pursue. Exactly. That's what I mean by that. Well, I think, yeah, exactly. I think you covered it. And I think we talk a lot here about the nature of evil and um, it, in, as it manifests specifically in adults who calculate and plot and premeditate their crimes in an elaborate way. I don't know. Maybe that's too generalistic. But you're right. I just We're all living through school shootings right now on the mainstream media, so it doesn't feel like something we can really contribute to. Well, it's a different issue. Yeah. All right. So back to death in the dorms, which is apparently more in our uh, wheelhouse. Um, We're introduced to a man named Carlos Aguilar, who is talking to us about his own personal history and that of his son, Christian. Uh, He is from Cali, Colombia. Uh, He immigrated to the United States uh, 35 years ago in 1987. While Eric was opening his lip balm. That was the sound of me opening the lip balm. I was trying not to make a lot of noise, but it was in this blister packet. Sorry. So Carlos was 19 when he emigrated. His family was poor. He brought his wife over with him, and at the time she was pregnant with his son, Christian. Christian was born in 1997. His brother was born two years later. The family moved to Miami. The brothers shared a room until they were 9 and 12, and they were incredibly close, and the brother, Alex Aguilar, is interviewed extensively throughout the special. We meet Barbara Estrada, who says she was Christian's friend. It's pretty clear from the episode title and where this is headed that Christian is going to be our victim in this story. She describes the high school they attended and says it was a lot of students who were first generation from Latin American families. Christian was well-liked. He made good and consistent friends. He was very science-oriented in his studies, and he made it his priority to get into the University of Florida, uh, which is the number one school in Florida, which I did not know. Which, you know, I'm not sure what the competition is like, but good for them. (laughs) Certainly of late, with everything that's happening to the public system there. Okay, we meet Sabine Justilian. She was the former student body vice president at the University of Florida at the time of the story we are about to tell. She is also first generation, but her parents are from Haiti and the Bahamas. We meet a student reporter from the time, Julia Glum, who was the former editor-in-chief of the Florida Alligator, which is their campus newspaper. She says getting into the University of Florida is a badge of honor, and it has a reputation as a party school, which seemed to be, I don't know, maybe two conflicting statements. I will say that they sort of touch on it briefly, but it is a huge football school. It is the school that gave birth to Tim Tebow's athletic career. Who apparently local churches were trying to make a saint, have declared a saint or put in the canonization process. I will just say at the outset, rather than saving it for the very end, is <laughs> children are really adorable. Yeah. Like these these young people from this college who are and pivotal in the telling of this story are it's like 
it's like little kids with a grocery store toy and a push mm-hmm. and a play school push cart where they're behave they're modeling the behavior of mom at the grocery store right. yeah. like the student government young lady is mm-hmm. just adorable and yeah. may grow up to be a senator, Hillary, or yeah. or Stacy, or one of those right. women that impresses me. Um, but when she starts talking about, well, I wanted to see how we could activate student government to be a part mm-hmm. of the investigation, I just about fell off the sofa yeah. laughing because it's student government. Like, yeah. I we don't recognize the <laughs> the sovereignty <laughs> of the student government. At but it but it was lovely that she felt this way, and both of them. The, the young woman from the paper, the mm-hmm. alligator, or the web page, or whatever it is, at this point, spoke very earnestly of their efforts to, you know, take a serious part in this investigation and to try and scrape an acquaintance with somebody they had never, never met heard of or met before, knew nothing about or whatever. It was really about making it all about the school yeah. and their continuing aspirational efforts and school government and school editorialship. It was just adorable. It was a little silly. It was a little silly. It was a little agenda-driven on the part of the oh producers. Oh, my God, it was so because agenda-driven. Because I think their access to these people is predicated on their insistence to the school government and school administration. We will not make your school look bad unless we think you're actually guilty of malfeasance or homicide. You know, like, clearly. And they, and they missed their opportunity because the other thing I will say at the outset is the 90s called and they asked for their video editing package back. <laughs> I thought if one more scene slid off the screen and was replaced by a star wipe of something yeah. else flying in from, I was like, oh my God, it's like watching PM Magazine in 1992. <laughs> All right. Okay, but it was which... really funny. It was, it made like, this is a tragic story, which is why I wanted to do that right up front yeah. and get it out of the way. The combination of the overzealous, I guess student editor mm-hmm. and these two and the the students that were being interviewed from the stu- from the student government, not the ones who were connected to the tragedy. Right. Th- it it made for a comic side to this particular um, this particular story that did not in any way reflect it the, did not. the hideousness of the crime itself. So it's 2012. Christian is in his freshman year. He's studying biomedical engineering. He is His ambition is to work on the manufacture of prosthetic limbs or the advancement of prosthetic limbs. He's the first person in the family to go to college, and he begins dating another student there named Erica Freeman. Actually, excuse me, she's going to Santa Fe College, which is in the same town. We're in Gainesville, Florida now. And they knew each other from high school. Yes, they knew each other from high school. And I think she, well, we'll find out later, but I think she didn't get into University of Florida. And so Santa Fe is sort of like Santa Monica College can be here for people who are trying to get into USC and UCLA. I think Santa Monica College is actually a great school in its own right. But anyway... September 21st, 2012, it's Friday, 9 a.m., Carlos gets a phone call from his wife telling him that Erica has called to say that Christian never got back to his room the night before and he has been missing for a total of eight hours. He's not answering his phone. Carlos immediately heads to Gainesville, Florida with his wife and his other son. Detective Randy Roberts is interviewed. He's with the Gainesville Police Department and the Major Crimes Unit. He tells us, this was another moment where my tongue was sort of, you know, university has their own police departments because the campus has tens and thousands of students. 
the handling of major cases like this by university police departments is a flashpoint in the discussion of true crime. It played a huge role in the Kristen Smart case up in Central California. Uh-huh. Do they do enough? Do they whatever? And they don't. They don't, unless they call in the big guns, for lack of a better term, which it sounds like they did here right it away. It does. Yeah. So Christian has been reported missing by Erica Freeman and a friend of theirs named Pedro Bravo, who has apparently known Christian for many, many years. Pedro and Christian have been friends since middle school, in fact. Pedro is also attending Santa Fe College with Erica. Now, the wrinkle, which is introduced pretty quickly, is that Pedro and Erica had been in a relationship in high school and they broke up. And now Christian and Erica are dating. Hmm. Christian had apparently spent time with Pedro the day before and was supposed to visit Erica that night, and he never showed up. And the other wrinkle that I think is worth noting for experienced watchers of true crime television is that Pedro and Erica are not being interviewed for this at all. They are being talked about. We're seeing interviews of them on tape, and we're seeing still pictures of them, but they are not participating in this particular and this particular document. When we reach the end, my dateline experience, I will address one of those points. I am looking forward to that. Okay. So apparently Erica called Pedro and said, look, he's missing. I can't find Christian. Where is he going? Where is he gone? They, uh, they don't know. Because Pedro was with him that afternoon. Absolutely, yeah. So Pedro volunteers to go to the police with her and report him missing. We're now introduced to Brian Kramer, assistant state attorney, which tells us right away, wow, this got serious very quickly because this is, I guess, their equivalent of the district attorney, assistant state attorney, I guess. I don't know how Florida works in this respect. Yeah, I think some of this is, I think some of this is points for the school because they Mm -hmm. really reacted to a missing student. Their attitude throughout this is, this is primarily, this is job one, the safety of the children that come here. We are absolutely, they referred to them as such. They did Mm -hmm. not pretend that college students are somehow all grown up and capable of taking care of themselves completely. They're working on it. but, But yeah, so I think they brought in the big guns Right off. Right away. And they activated their own campus-wide network, which shows any kind of login from a student anywhere on any of their computers. And there's very cool. No trace of Christian at all, which also suggests he has completely gone missing. They also alert all the students with, I guess, it's a text alert. And I think they also show a tweet on the campus account as well, which sort of spreads the word far and wide immediately. The student newspaper runs a story immediately on their website. They don't wait for the paper edition the next day. Um, Detective Roberts tries to get a ping done on Christian's phone, and to do this, he calls in. They apparently have their own detective who is a digital forensics examiner. I know this is not true of every department. Detective Matt Goykel. So he comes in, and he starts analyzing the phone. So what is Pedro's story? Because he was the last person to see Christian alive. He says that the two of them went to Best Buy to buy a CD. They were also friends from high school, or they knew each other from high school. Middle school, in fact. We said, yeah, yeah, we said they had been friends for a long time, Pedro and Christian. Um, Pedro claims he expressed suicidal thoughts to Christian, and Christian was aggressively trying to talk him out of them, and they got into an argument. And so Pedro dropped him off on the side of the road and left him. Then he went home to take some sleeping medication, played around on his laptop, and fell asleep. And this will be the beginning of the contorting and expanding of Pedro Bravo's story about what happened the last right, this time. This is he version one. Version one 
of Dropped many. him off, took some sleeping pills, went to sleep. So uh, Carlos, so Christian's father, mother, and brother arrive in Gainesville at 1 o'clock after a five-hour drive that they made in three and a half hours. They're, they formalized the missing persons report. That man was on a mission. He was on a mission. And they did not go to bed. They began the search in the the place where he was dropped off that night. This reminded me of Natalie Holloway's mother. Remember how we talked about that, how she got to that island and she did not wait on anyone. She, she started, started her own searching. investigation. Yes. Yeah, They were not waiting. They were happy to participate, but they started the search immediately. So Pedro is, I guess, in an interrogation room at this point. Like, it sounds like they haven't let him go while this is all going on. And he gives the detectives permission to search his vehicle where they almost immediately find a McDonald's receipt from the middle of the night that contradicts his story that he went home and fell asleep after playing on his laptop. When confronted with the receipt, he claims, oh, okay, now I remember what really happened, which is that he got into a physical fight with Christian in which he punched Christian in the nose and shoved him out of the car. And now we have a fight, and now this fight story is going to contort and expand and get bigger and Because that explains going to McDonald's. That's what I always do if I've punched somebody in the nose, like, and then lying about it. Like, it was like, oh, okay, well, that's an interesting new detail. And also lying about where you were at the time. Anyway. And and I— Honestly, I was thinking, okay, if he says he was playing on his laptop, that can be easily checked out. Like, ask for his computer and, you know, see what he logged into. But anyway, it escalates far more quickly than that. Oh, and in directions that really were, like, kind of startling. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. Why would I go to your website for that? Again, you're sitting right here. All right. Well, for people who aren't right here, ChristopherRiceBooks.com is a great place to get information about my new releases. Which you'll give me copies of because I'm sitting right here. Yeah, maybe. But for those who aren't currently sitting in our studio on the Sunset Strip, check out my website, sign up for my mailing list, and check out all the posts on my blog where I talk smack about Eric Shaw Quinn. What smack? Shut up and read this new book I wrote. Fuck that and fuck ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? So Christian's family has gone to the wooded area where Pedro says that he threw him out of the car, and they have started their own search. They've also contacted a friend in the news media who gets the story on local television. So all a lot of attention from the university is coming to bear on this search for Christian. I mean, and the family is really setting the pace. The cops, meanwhile, get a court order for Pedro Bravo's phone, specifically for his call log and the towers his uh, phone connected to. The data identifies a two-hour period where Pedro was in the same wooded area and he has not previously accounted for what he was doing there and it doesn't fit with the previous timeline of his movements that he gave them. He admits to them, yes, I was in the Walmart parking lot, which is good because that's what the records say about where he was. But he said, I went back to my apartment and then I drove a main road away from the apartment and suddenly his phone goes off the network. And he has no explanation for what happened. He always says his phone ran out of juice. Yeah. Yeah. 
And at that point, the data dries up because he turned off his phone. He put it in airplane mode, apparently. Is that what he did? That's what they ultimately discovered. They're ultimately right. Because the log is really well... You'll get to that I, part of we, the story. I learned what they can find out about your phone. Like, there was a lot of phone... It really was eye-opening. The, the, di- the digital detective was really informative on this topic. Because you can find out how the other, the modes the person was shifting to, even if you didn't know where they were. He found the battery log on yeah. Pedro's phone, which was as informative as anything else, because one of the things he found out was his phone never died, and right. he switched it to airplane mode, and this and that. There was a whole host of things that he was able to determine about the phone... Without necessarily the obvious, looking in the obvious places. Pedro also makes the mistake, or I would say the deliberate strategy on his part, is to express suicidal thoughts. But that allows the cops to place him under a mandatory hold. There's something in Florida called the Baker Act, which makes that legal. Well, it's honestly, probably with Pedro was a good idea anyway. Yeah. The family is continuing to search the woods. They start their search in the middle of the night. You always hear on these specials, we couldn't search at night. That wasn't stopping this family. Absolutely not. I was horrified to think of them going through the woods in Florida with the snakes and the alligators and whatever. Nothing stopped this family. They were indefatigable. Uh, The first volunteer shows up at 6 in the morning. The search teams expand to include other law enforcement agencies. It's now September 24th, 2012. Christian has been missing for four days. The detective in charge of the case contacts the state's attorney, and they say they've got enough to charge Pedro for leaving an injured crime victim. So that's what they charge him with, even though they think they're eventually going to get him for more. Detective Goykel, as you said earlier, is able to get into the phone and see how Pedro was manipulating the phone itself, even though they didn't have the location data. They can see that he turned it off and put it in airplane mode. They can also see what they can see of his route from that night before the phone went dead, and they go to all the businesses he could have potentially visited on that route and get the security camera footage. Um... They also see that there is a period where he used the flashlight app on his phone in the middle of the night. For 45 minutes. When he was originally, in his verse version, asleep at home. Uh, Based off that, they get a search warrant for Pedro's apartment. And this is just, this is one of those things. I don't ever want to give advice to criminals, but they find receipts for a shovel they find Christian's backpack. Inside of it, they find Christian's wallet, his this ID, is, and his credit card. This is an 18-year-old. Yeah. This is a child yeah. committing this, or we'll see. But They also find journals of his documenting his obsession with Erica, even though they supposedly had an amicable breakup. It apparently wasn't so amicable for Pedro. They contain a plan, these journals, of how he's going to get Erica back, and part of that plan is he is going to kill Christian and get rid of his body. The press tries to depict a love triangle between the three, but the family claims that's not true. I'll get to my dateline take in a little bit. Okay. The police interview Erica, and as you pointed out, that's the only time we see Erica interviewed in this special. She didn't sit for the actual uh, producers. Uh, She tells a story in which she dated Pedro during high school, that he began to act very strange. They would go to the mall together, and he would leave her there late at night. He would also ignore her for long periods. As high school was coming to an end, she made a decision to break off their relationship. He became possessive of her after they broke up. At Gainesville, Erica ends up reconnecting with Christian, who she also knew in high school. Meanwhile, Pedro is pining away for her down in Miami. He gets information from other mutual friends that they have begun seeing each other. 
So Pedro abandons his full-ride scholarship at the University of Miami and enrolls at Santa Fe College, which is where Erica is a student and which is just down the road from University of Florida. Right. At the beginning of September, he makes his presence known to her. Then he reaches out to Christian. He's claiming that he's suffering from depression and mental health issues, but he also confesses that at this point, when he reestablished contact with both of them, he was already planning to murder Christian. After they search his house, they get a search warrant for his vehicle, which was weird to me because he had already given them consent to search his vehicle, but maybe the warrant was more expansive. I don't understand, yeah. but it's where they found a number of really final kind of evidence. Duct tape, Christian's DNA on the carpet, blood, a Gatorade bottle spiked with diphenhydramine, which is the ingredient in Benadryl, or it is Benadryl. It's a generic name. It's also, I think it's, yeah, and they use it as a over-the-counter sleeping medication. The evidence is sufficient at this point to determine that Christian is not alive, even though I've not yet found the body. That happens on September 28th, 2012, 22 days after he went missing. Two hunters come across his remains in the woods. They show Carlos a photograph of a shoe that they have found with the remains, and Carlos collapses. He says after the funeral, he is diagnosed with PTSD, um, but he becomes an absolute fucking hero. I mean, this man, this man's resilience, they, they go to every day of the trial, no matter how disturbing, even though Pedro is maintaining his innocence and enters a plea of not guilty, which I don't know how. Um, <laughs> but because it's your right. The state puts up dozens of witnesses. The defense only puts up one. Pedro. But the Aguilar family creates a foundation to help other families in similar situations, specifically with the use and training of search and rescue dogs, which played a huge role in the search for Christian. They participated in some successful searches and some not successful ones, as he says. But this is how this man and this family responded to this horrible tragedy. August 15th, 2014, the final day of the trial, the jury comes back and renders a verdict of guilty of first-degree murder. Pedro is sentenced to life without the possibility of patrol. Of patrol? I'm sorry, boy. <laughs> no, there's like 16 standard true crime story words that are like in the same data bank in my brain, and sometimes I spit out the wrong one. Without the possibility of parole. I was just thinking, well, okay, that's, yeah. and Or patrol, or to, patrol. Be part, to be fair. He's not going anywhere. There's no patrolling when, you're, when you have no parole. Christian goes on to become the first Latin American in Florida to receive a posthumous degree in medical engineering. Well, to, to receive a degree in medical engineering at all. Like, oh, is that true? They, yeah. they gave it to him posthumously, but it was, yeah. it was he was the first. Yeah, remarkable kid and a, yeah. really a, a devastating loss, not only for his family, but I think for all of us. He, yeah. he really was portrayed as somebody pretty amazing. Okay. That, that's what I, that was my impression. I, I, really, I really thought so, too. And so here's what I'm going to say about my dateline of this. Yes. Okay. There are times when the absence of a certain inter, potential interview subject seems suspicious. I thought she was going to be in on it because she wasn't being interviewed. I think, and we are also media critics here, you know, who have some connect, we work in show business, if you will. That girl signed an exclusive with Dateline because she is the Dateline special about this. And there is nothing suspicious. She lays it all on the table. It's like two solid hours of being interviewed by Dateline. Okay. There's not a whiff that she had anything to do with this. Pedro was was really a disturbed man. She had broken off the relationship for valid reasons. He followed her across Florida like she was really... 
and he manipulated both of them with his with his mental health issues. He really they were trying to sort of help, help. him, and I think they were probably motivated by some sense of guilt that well, they had gotten they had together. Known him, it wasn't yeah. like he was some stranger who wandered into their life. He was somebody they'd been in school with for years. You said he uh, Christian had known him since middle school, so right. I think they were just being you know decent people and yeah to. To be subjected to what like, like there was, I can't see any point at which they would have thought, well, but he might, you know, try and give us hydramine in our Gatorade yeah, and kill right, us. Like totally. I don't think anybody was considering that as a possible outcome. He might hurt himself. I think was probably the greater concern. I and I and they must have been motivated by that concern to have moved through their their discomfort about being in the presence of her former boyfriend. I, I mean, there wasn't a lot of distance between them in high school at this point. It's freshman year, so it's not like it's yeah. years later and it was like, oh, it was just a high school thing and they're over it now. This was fresh for them and they were still having contact with him. And I think that, um, you know, I think that it that the level of uh, – I'm trying to remember the name of the wife who basically got thrown over down in San Diego and lost her shit and killed her husband. Betty. Betty Broderick maybe it was? Yeah, maybe so. The party people out there will correct me if I'm wrong. Um there's an it's horrible murder. I never justify murder, but like, how can I can I understand it as a writer? Like, you just get thrown away, and it makes you feel rejected and horrible, and you act out in this terrible, destructive way. But this is not somebody who appeared to be shunned from a social group because he was no longer dating one of the members. He literally crossed the state to reinsert himself into the lives of these two people. I mean, it was really. Uh, talk about premeditated murder, you know, abandoning. A, when they got to abandon the full ride scholarship so that he could go murder his ex girlfriend's new boyfriend, you're talking about a straight up predator. Well, I really somebody deeply disturbed, right? At whatever level, I. But the other thing that's happening is, like, the thing that is is not as included because they're all sort of pretending that they're grown ups. Is that is the age of the people involved, right? right? The the level of importance mm-hmm. of stuff that happens in high school while you're in high school is right. ludicrously exaggerated in the minds of high school students. Like, right. speaking as a former high school student, I Same. can say this with great authority. Everything that seemed important in high school is largely forgettable, if, la- if not laughable, right. at this point in my life. Like, it just, it's simply not as significant. So... The level of significance that he was according this particular relationship and its outcome is is being affected by that. I think that the same is probably factored into the horrible, and we said we weren't going to talk about it, but the horrible mass shooting mm-hmm. in in Miami mm-hmm. of the stoner. The, the, I can't remember. It's too many names. Uh-huh. Muriel Stoneman. Oh, Stoneman. Yeah, the whatever. Stoneman the, is the, the school. The, shooting yeah. at the, the school shooting there. Yeah. That young man on Valentine's Day mm-hmm. was experiencing a level of not having a Valentine on Valentine's Day at age 17 that while at age 17 that may seem like a significant event in your life is not. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you don't have the ability to separate the reality of the situation from the gravity, the perceived right. gravity of the situation. And I, I I sort of felt like that was a part of what was unfolding here. This was a young man who, like, one of the one of the other groups of people that was not included in this was Pedro's parents. Mm-hmm. Because my question was, where was his own 
Right. Like, well, that's what I'm sitting here thinking as you describe this. It's absolutely true. And the job of the adults in the situation is to bring the perspective and the reality as much as they can. Which is when my when my son says, I'm throwing over my full ride scholarship to the University of Miami to go to a community college in Gainesville, that's when I step in and yeah. go, Oh no, you are not. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're not yeah. even going to Gainesville, not in a car I own or insure or put right. gasoline in or anything else. Absolutely not. Get your ass back in school and shut the fuck up about whatever. Like, yeah, I did, yeah it sounds terrible. And this is the therapist number. Call her mm-hmm. by, you know, by Thursday or I will pick you up myself and take you. Like, right. there's there's an absence of parental supervision, of adult right. influence in the life of Pedro that I think is also a part of, even at the trial, there was mm. no evidence of familial connection right. in and around him. There weren't even any pictures of his family. Now, yeah. maybe they wouldn't allow that, but... Oh, and Right. And I think the, there's another possibility with Erica, which is always true of these people, because we're a few years out now, and this case did get a lot of coverage, where the camera crew shows up and they're like, I can't do it again. I just go away. I, it's He's in jail. I can't talk about it. You know, like whatever. Are they a part of the... Um, I don't remember. That is a good question. I'm almost encouraged to go back and see. That is one of the elements that really struck me about the overall thing. There's the the more sort of adorable side of it with these kids acting like grown-ups. Right, in the um, beginning, yeah. In the beginning. But there is also the rather disturbing part of it, like the only parental figure in the whole thing, other than school administrators or police officers, is his father. Right, yeah. Also, not for nothing, hello, Alex. I know, <laughs> Saved it for the end. I was just I, like, I hope that he's. Oh, I hope that he wow. is now. It's been enough time that I think he's all grown up. But hello, Alex. Christian's brother was like, "Wow, uh, okay, uh, he can." Like, let's just let's just interview him. Go back. <laughs> Could we hear what Alex thinks about this? Let's let's have some another take from Alex on this situation. Oh my god! Wow. I mean, yeah, he was a baby. He was. Yeah, he, he was, was something to see and. Not for nothing, so was Christian. I, yeah. I, you know, like that doesn't make it more tragic, but it no. was, he just was such a promising kid. It was oh, such yeah. a heartbreaking situation, and his father was devastated. Yeah. He was the apple of his father's eye. He was so. But I mean, if you can go from getting a diagnosis of PTSD in the wake of this to starting a foundation about search and rescue dogs, I mean, a specific granular foundation that's going to require you to educate yourself, scientific specialization, if you will. That, I was so impressed by that. Yeah. You know, like. This was a man who was driven to do the best for his family yeah. from the beginning of the story right through even now and to pay tribute to the, the legacy of his own son because, yeah. Jesus, I just, I can't really imagine you send your kid to school. I And I was going to say, I was like, I don't know if I can do another episode of this show. We didn't for this run of episodes, but it's like. It is. It's like the worst, a parent's worst fear. I don't know if I could watch my kid, my three-year-old, walk down the street without me holding their hand. Like, well, I don't. I wrote a book. My only <laughs> experience with raising children is I wrote a book about it. <laughs> Made up a story about a, it. Which was apparently, you know, uh, popular, well-received enough that I actually had people come to book signings and ask me parenting questions. Oh, dear. And I would say, okay, this is fiction, so I can tell you what the characters would do, but I am in no way recommending this or saying that I have any experience. Um, But when I got to the part where the the parent, and this is way back when, this is in the 90s when I wrote that book, 
Um, well, I actually wrote the book earlier. It was, was published in the 90s. You um, wrote it in like the 40s. What was it, right? 30s? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. 1852. Yeah. Armistice Day, right. Slightly before the Civil right. War. Um, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I'm really old. Um, the, uh, the, the, the When you get to the point where it's time for the child to go to first grade, yeah. the uncle, I'd, spoiler alert, mm-hmm. if you haven't read it, dresses up as the gardener mm-hmm. at the, and goes and lurks around the campus at the elementary school to keep an eye on the kid, which I would totally commit to doing now, yes. even knowing that it's illegal and creepy and potentially actionable mm-hmm. and a whole host of other things. I would still do that. I can't imagine going, well, you're six. It's been lovely. Yes. There's the bus. See you. Yes, you know, totally. I'll be at graduation. Bye. I just can't imagine having that kind of nerve. I, Somebody else picking out their food or driving them or anything else. I just, I, parents are the bravest people in the world. They really are. Yay, parents. Let's hear it for oh parents. Oh, my God. But because I'm all about transitions today, what you just brought up is a great uh, transition to our next episode, which is going to be about a boarding school. So it's not going to be about snack food this time. It's not going to be about (laughs) snacks. It's about a boarding school. Next up, we are doing a true crime TV club about an episode of the show Vanity Fair Confidential called St. George's Hidden Dragons. St. George's is a prestigious boarding school, or it was before they did the special, um, (laughs) in Rhode Island. And that is season three, episode 10, if you want to stream it before we talk about it. And it is now on the streaming platform formerly known as HBO Max here in the U.S., now known as Max. But it is also on um, Discovery. And so I am am expecting it is also probably available for free through Investigations ID, their free app as well. So you have to watch commercials. But but you can watch it. On a lot of platforms. It's chaos right now in the streaming world. It's By the just way chaos. through, oh, for heaven's sakes, <laughs> calm the fuck down. Chaos, Everybody right. calm down and knock it no, off. it's chaos. This is all we read about in Hollywood. It's chaos. It's just, yes, it's the, it's the end of the world it's as the we know it. Yeah. Okay, so that's next week. Until then and forever after, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. Thanks. Is it raining out? This is TDPS.